Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. If you have your Bible, turn it to Galatians, the second chapter. We're going to jump right in, and we're going to read 16 verses together. So if you're behind on your Bible reading plan... You're welcome. I'm going to help catch you up this morning. If you're ready, say, I am ready. Galatians, the second chapter, starting in verse 1, it says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. This is the Apostle Paul. He's gone through this process of transformation. God takes him from a life of persecuting the church to now being a builder of the church. And along this journey of learning to walk with God, he begins to get a revelation of who Jesus Christ is and what the gospel is all about. And it is very, very different than how he thought it would be. He was raised one way, and now he's seeing that God was doing it completely different than the way he thought it was. And so he's telling us, I, ha- I had this revelation, like the gospel I'm teaching to you is not something I learned in school. The gospel I'm teaching to you is not something that somebody told me about. This is a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Then after 14 years, I mean, there's been a process here. God has been working on Paul's life. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation and sat before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. He's saying this gospel that I received by revelation is so different than anything anyone else has heard. I'm going to take it back to some of the other apostles who actually knew Jesus, and I'm going to bounce this off of them to make sure that I'm not running in vain. Because how many of you know Paul's life before Christ was him running in vain? It was him doing things his way. He, he thought that he was pleasing God. He thought that all of his efforts and his work and his energy and his study was pleasing God and giving him right standing before God. But once he meets Jesus, he realizes, man, that was all in vain. And so now that I've got this gospel and I'm going to take it to the Gentiles, I want to make sure that I'm running with purpose. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just go through life aimlessly. Paul talks about this in other books that he wrote in Scripture. He's like, I don't run aimlessly. I don't fight as one who's just beating the air. When I make a punch, I want to make sure that I am making maximum impact. And that's how each and every one of us should live. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to empower you. And so you should live on mission and everything that you do should be on mission and make maximum impact. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm here for maximum impact. My life will not be in vain. You know, life, life is too short to live it in vain. You know, I'm, I'm still fairly young, but I realize how quick life happens. I mean, I, I take my daughters to school, and, and every morning my, my middle schooler, Stella, she tells me, I, I don't want to go here. And I realized that that was me yesterday. 
telling my dad, I don't want to go here. And it's just like that. I went from being the middle schooler that didn't want to go to middle school to the parent who wishes I could go to middle school to send my daughter to deal with the responsibilities I got to deal with. Because my responsibilities now as a husband and a father and a church leader are much bigger than what I had to deal with in middle school. I mean, the subjects that I thought were just like pointless, which most of them are, but the ones that I thought were pointless, I would love to sit there in a class and just hear them all over again. How many of you can testify to that? Like, so life's short. So, so the, the time that I do have left on this earth, whatever God has determined for me, I want to make sure that I am making a difference. I want to make sure that I am making an impact. When I meet somebody, I want to meet them with the intention of being an influence to them. I want you to see Jesus in me, and I want to be able to see Jesus in you. Turn to the person next to you and say, can I see Jesus in you today? And I'll turn to the person on the other side of your second choice and say, not, re not really. <laughs> so he says in verse 2, he says, uh, I wanted to go to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. There, there's a lot happening right there and that's a big theme of the book of Galatians that you'll you'll see Jews and you'll see Gentiles you'll see the circumcised and the uncircumcised and I think most of you understand what circumcision is I don't think we need to have a master class on circumcision this morning but the significance of what's happening here in scripture is God told his people you need to be circumcised and, and so now we fast forward into present day with Paul and the people who are a part of the church are arguing for circumcision because God himself said that we should be circumcised. The question is, did God change his mind? The answer is no. God does not change his mind. So, so what do we do with the circumcision? If, if God said be circumcised and he doesn't change his mind, do we still need to be circumcised? No. Not if you understand what's happening here. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. It was a sign of the promise that was to come. For instance, how many of you in here, you wear a wedding band? I don't because mine doesn't fit me anymore. I've gained a few LBs since, since that glorious day almost 17 years ago. Am I still married? Are you sure? But I'm not wearing a wedding ring. See, the, the wedding ring is not the covenant. The wedding ring only points to the covenant. So God told his people, you're going to be circumcised. That's going to point to the covenant or the promise, which is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was a sign of something to come. So now we are still circumcised. It's just not down there. It's right here in my heart. And which was the purpose from the beginning of time. God was working to gather a people that he would take that heart of stone, cut it out, circumcise it, and give them a heart of flesh. So when we talk about circumcision here, that's, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with this tension between like, do, should we be doing this or should we 
not be doing this. And Paul is saying it really doesn't matter. It's at this point in time, it's a preference thing. So turn to the person next to you and say, you do you, boo. So, so the other thing we have going on here is Jews and Gentiles, right? So the, the Jewish people started with a man named Abraham. God selected him. Not based upon anything that Abraham had done, by the way. It wasn't because Abraham was just like a really good guy, loving on God, pursuing God, and God's like, that's going to be my boy. Had nothing to do with Abraham. As a matter of fact, Abraham came from a pagan nation. They served other gods, but God chose Abraham, which shows us how God operates, that it's all about grace. It's all about he chose us. Did you know that God chose you? You did not choose God. You're just responding to his choosing. God loved you before you loved him. He loved you while you were still a sinner. While you were messed up and jacked up, God loved you. He chose you and he saved you. So, so we got Abraham over here. Abraham starts having kids. Their kids start having kids. And a big family is born. You know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And how many of y'all grew up in church? So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm. Let's talk about the family of Abraham. But what caught me about that song is it says, and I am one of them. And so are you. However, my bloodline is not connected to Abraham. My family tree is not connected to Abraham, and most of you aren't either. You're not his children by natural birth. The Jews are his children by natural birth. So, so what's going on here? We've got Jews. That's, that, those are the ones who are his actual descendants, and then everybody else, which includes us, we're the Gentiles. And so there's a lot of controversy behind this in the early church because the promises of God belong to Abraham and his descendants. But now Paul is arguing it also belongs to the Gentiles because Jesus came and he said, guess what? Abraham's kids, y'all are sinners. Gentiles, y'all are sinners. He evens the playing field. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter who your daddy is. You're all messed up. I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Now you find your salvation in me alone, not your bloodline or your family tree. It is only in what I have done. And now because of this, anyone who has faith in me is a son of Abraham. Are you, are you getting this so far? Because the promises that God made to Abraham were before a law. God gave Abraham promises even before the circumcision. Abraham himself was a Gentile until God started the family. And Abraham became a part of the family of God through faith. That's how we come into the family. It is through faith. Turn to the person next to you say, it is through faith. I'm taking my time because I don't want to just brush through this today and you leave and go, I have no idea what's going on. Do I need to be circumcised? No. You're welcome. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. You know, I was just thinking, like, Titus, at this moment in time, he's probably not thinking there's going to be a book written about him called the Bible. And, like, his one claim to fame is that he's not circumcised. I mean, that's just the way my mind works. <laughs> 
You know, like, it's not like Titus was a really great guy. Titus was a man of faith. Eh, he wasn't circumcised. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. That means he was a Gentile. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, here comes the problem and the controversy. Who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might bring, that they may, might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, Cephas is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. That's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal at this time because they, the people of that time would have believed that the gospel was only for those who belonged to Abraham through his bloodline. Verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Verse 11, it starts to get interesting. But when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. He's hanging out with the Gentiles, non-Jewish believers. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Can I just pause for a moment and say that? Some of the biggest problems that we have in the church are because people do that. We impose rules and lifestyles on people that we do not even keep ourselves. And when they find out that we're not keeping what we're presenting, we become the big H word, hypocrites. And it turns people away. And that's what's happening with Peter. He's hanging out with Gentiles. He's living like a Gentile, even though he's Jewish. But when the Jews start coming from the circumcision party, he backs off. And Paul's like, bro, you can't do that. We've got to stand firm. If we have decided that God has told us that the gospel is for all people, then we've got to stand firm in this thing. Verse 15, for we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, this is important, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in, somebody say it, Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. We're Jews, but we're not putting our faith in our works. We too, just like the Gentiles, are putting our faith in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. That means to be made right, to be justified by faith in Christ and not 
by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The topic of today is God's values versus our preferences. Turn the person next to you and say, God's values versus our preferences. How many of you know there are, there's a difference? God absolutely has values. God absolutely has standards, and we absolutely have preferences. For instance, um, whether or not you get married in life is a preference. Did you know that? There's nothing in God's word that tells us we have to get married. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul never got married. So marriage is a preference, true or false. How I treat my spouse, preference or value? See the difference? I can choose whether or not I want to get married, but once I enter that covenant, God has a value system here. He says, if you're going to be a husband, this is how you should respond as a husband. If you're going to be a wife, this is how you should respond as a wife. Children, having kids, that's a preference. Did you know that? You do not have to have children if you do not want to have children. That's a preference. But if you decide that I'm going to do what it takes to have a kid and you get pregnant, now we're dealing with what? Value. Because God absolutely has values surrounding that child, what you do with that child, and how you raise that child. There's a difference between our preferences and our values. Growing up, every Easter, mom would buy us a brand new suit to wear. And we were expected as children to wear a suit to church every Sunday. And over time, you hope that you didn't outgrow that suit and you could collect another suit so that you would have a little bit of variety. Because if not, you had to wear the same gray suit every Sunday morning and all you did was change your clip on. And then once you get old enough to learn how to tie a tie, you wear a tie. That's how I was raised. As a matter of fact, if I were to stand and speak in my father's church probably 15 years ago, I would have been required to wear a tie. Did you know that there are certain conferences I go to as a keynote speaker that when I go, it is their expectation for me to wear a suit and a tie? Does it make me a more effective communicator? No. Does it change my relationship with Jesus Christ? No. That is a preference. And what I want you to understand is it is okay to have a preference. But we cannot allow our preferences in life to become our prejudices against someone else. See, worship is a value. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. If you are a follower of Christ, a part of who we are is we are a worshiping people. We worship God in spirit and in truth. That is a value. That is a core value. How we worship or the styles of songs we use, that is absolutely a preference. But so many people, you gotta hear me, so many people will fight tooth and nail for their preferences. And they will exclude people because your preference is different than my preference. And what happens is we start taking our traditions and we start making our traditions gospel. And God's saying that has nothing to do with my value system. That's what Paul is dealing with here in the early church. Christianity is fairly new. Jesus died on a cross. 
He told people, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now these, these men, these apostles, they're taking the words of Jesus and what the Holy Spirit is giving them, and they're laying this out, the foundation of what we now know as the church, and they are very, very careful with this because they want to make sure that what they are presenting is the gospel and what God values and not their preferences. So the question is, what should stay because God values it, and what can go just because it's our preference? Is it really Jesus plus nothing? Is what Jesus did enough to save people, or do we need to add something to it? Do, do we need to kind of bring some of our traditions and mix it in to make the gospel effective? You know, every year my family, on Christmas Eve, they, they come over to my house and we, we've started this uh, tradition where everybody comes over to my house after church, uh, those who really love God come to Activation Church for Christmas Eve service. Those who are kind of far from God, they miss that portion, but they show up for the uh, Chinese food afterwards, you know. And, but we all come together, and then most of everyone spends the night, and if they don't, they'll leave, and then they'll drive back early in the morning for breakfast. That's, that's a tradition that we've been doing for several years. It's a lot of fun. I really like it. But I was thinking, like, at some point in time, my, my daughters are going to get married, and they're going to start families of their own. Now, what happens if they decide that once they get a family of their own, they're no longer going to come to dad's house to spend the night on Christmas Eve so they can wake up and have breakfast? Are they still a part of the family? Help me out. Are they still a part of the family? Why? Because their tradition is not what connects them to the family. It is who their father is. It's very important for us to understand because you have these people presenting work-based uh, uh, religion here in Galatians, saying it's all about who you are, where you came from, and what you do. There are certain traditions. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, there are certain traditions that you need to uphold. And so these are the tensions that Paul is wrestling through. The problem is, if we lean into works-based religion, which means there's something I've got to do to earn my righteousness or my right standing with Christ, there's one of three things that can happen. The first thing is this, pride. Turn to the person next to you and say pride. That's, uh, that comes from self-righteousness. You ever met a self-righteous person? Like they think they're better than you because of what they do? Uh, they think they're better than you because they haven't walked the same journey or course that you've walked in their life. And they take a lot of pride in who they are and what they do. You know, I go to church every Sunday morning. You only show up Christmas and Easter. I serve on the ushering team. I do this. It's always I, I, I. I gave this amount of money to the church. It's all I, I, I. They want you to see them, they think that what they have done has like brought them closer to God, but they're really not relying on anything that he has done. It's all about what they have done. As a matter of fact, if I were to ask you in here, those of you who are sitting here, like, are you saved? A lot of you would probably say yes. But if I asked you, how do you know that you are saved? Some of you would wrestle with answering that question. Some of you would say, well, 
I grew up in a Christian home. My grandparents were Christians. Or let's just take my, my story. My great-grandfather was a minister. My grandfather was a minister. My dad was a minister. I grew up in church. I served on the worship team. I worked in the children's department. I became the children's pastor. Then I became the youth pastor. And that becomes my explanation of my salvation. But are you hearing that? I did this. I did this. I did this. That's self-righteousness. I've earned my standing with God because of everything that I have accomplished when the real answer should be, how do you know you're saved? Because I understand that I am a sinner and I have put my faith in Jesus Christ and I know that without him, I have no hope, but he loved me even when I was unlovable and he gave his life for me and I know that he died on the cross and rose from the dead and I know just as he died, the man I used to be died as well and just as he came back to life, I know that I have come into a new life. I am a new creation and one day I will stand with him and see him face to face. See that? It's not... It's not what I've done, because I promise you, I've done more to harm myself than to help me. And actually, you need to know that you are the problem with you. I mean, I know that stings a little bit, but you're the problem with you. Like, the loudest voice in your head is your voice. The, the dumbest decisions that you have made in your life were decisions that you cooked up all on your own. The mistakes that you have made were choices that you decided you were going to walk into. Well, you're the problem with you. And that's what's so freaking about the gospel is I don't have to be the Savior. And thank goodness I don't have to be my own Savior because I would be a miserable, miserable Savior. Okay? And I just want to say this. As your pastor, you know, obviously there is a such thing as honor and respect, and that should be in the house of God, but never place me on a pedestal. Okay? I am a human being just like you are a human being. We all have faults, we all have failures, and it is only by the grace of God that we are who we are. It is only by the grace of God that I am able to stand here and minister the gospel today. It's not because of anything I have done. It's not because of my pedigree. Are you understanding? But if I don't know that, then pride sets in. And that's where Paul came from. That was Paul's life with God. It's all about who he was. It was all about what he had done. Watch what he says here in Philippians, the third chapter, verse three. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's telling them, you want to talk about works? You, you want to talk about like what you've accomplished? I've accomplished way more than you. And he's not saying this right here from a prideful place. He's saying this from a place of, of humility. Like, you need to understand, I've done more than you, and I realize that it has nothing to do with what I've done. He says, though I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason to, for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew among Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Everything that you can check off in your list that would make you a good person is what I have done. 
Verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Everything that I've done in my life is garbage compared to what Jesus has done in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, I used to place my confidence in what I did. But now that I've had a revelation of Jesus Christ, I count all of that as garbage. All my studying, everything I've invested into my life, it's all garbage, it's all meaningless compared to knowing and understanding who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. So if you go after a works-based religion, you'll fall into pride. That's one possibility. The second possibility is this, it'll cause you to hide. Turn to the person next to you and say, you'll just hide. And this could happen one or two ways. One, you can understand that, you know, I, I see God's value system, I see his standards, and I realize that I can't accomplish it. But I don't want you to know that I can't accomplish it. I know that I'm a miserable failure, but I don't want you to know I'm a miserable failure. So what I do is I present one thing even though I'm living as another. That's, that's the hypocrite that we're talking about earlier. So that's, that's one thing. Like, I know that I'm not meeting God's standard, but I'm going to pretend like I'm meeting God's standard. The other way that we hide is I know that I'm not living up to your standard, which is completely different because now we're dealing with preferences. I could do a whole sermon on growing up under the pressure of preferences because as a pastor's son, I understand the pressure of preferences. Everyone had an expectation of who I should be and they wanted to place me in their little mold. Even as a pastor, some of you have a preference and you want to try to put me in your mold. And I apologize to you in advance. I cannot be placed in your mold. Okay? So if you need to be a part of a church to where you can manipulate the pastor and force him to be someone you need him to be, you have found the wrong church. Because I know who I am in Christ and I know that he has called me to be me and to be here for this time to do what he's called me to do. But Peter, see, Peter is backing down to the opinion of others. And so he's hiding. He understands, he knows that he cannot earn his righteousness with God through his actions. He knows it's not about who you hang out with or, or what you eat or what kind of festivals you, you observe. He understands that. And so he's living in this new freedom that he's found in Christ Jesus. But when the Jews start showing up, he backs off from all that and starts to hide to present himself as a good Jewish boy. That is no good. Turn to the person next to you and say, hiding's no good. The third thing is, and I think a lot of people fall into this category, it just calls you to run. Like it hasn't produced pride. Like you don't have time to hide. You just flat out run. Like if God's standards are here, I know that I fall way short and there's no way for me to live that way. So instead of even trying, I just run in the opposite direction. And maybe that's a part of your story at one point in time. Like 
you found so much pressure in religion, you're like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't live up to the standards of people. I can't live up to the standards of, uh, of my parents. I can't live up to the standards that the preacher is preaching from the word of God. And so it'd be better for me if I'm going to go to hell anyway, might as well go to hell having fun. Anybody with me? No, that's not your story? Like, that would be my story. Like, if I'm going to hell because of the things I've done, I'm going to go into it full blast. I feel like I'm preaching to a bunch of aliens here. You're like, no, I would never. You know, like, if if drinking a beer is going to send me to hell, then I'm not going to stop at that one beer. You understand what I'm saying? Still not with me. It just becomes a natural thing where I, I, can't meet a, I can't meet these standards, so I run. None of that works. Pride will bring a fall in your life. Pride will bring destruction in your life. Hiding gives no opportunity for healing. And running takes you in the wrong direction. So what's the, what's, what's the balance here? It's got to be faith-based relationship. And that's how I want you to view Christianity. I hate when people go, oh, talk to Aram, he's religious. Because I'm actually not. I'm not a religious person. I love Jesus. And I understand what Jesus has done for me. And I understand that this Christianity thing is all about developing a relationship with the one who loved me and gave his life for me. And when I understand that it's not about me, but it's about him, instead of producing pride, it'll produce humility. Because I know that I did not deserve his love. That's what Randy was talking about, the perspective of the writer in that song, Reckless Love. From the writer's perspective, it seems so reckless that God would send his son to die for people who were rejecting him. Why would a holy God come and save a person like me? Why wouldn't he just wipe the planet clean and start all over? Because he could have. Do you know that? If that was in his heart to do, he could have done that. But from the beginning of time, his heart was to save humanity, to seek and save the lost, to bring us back into our purpose and why we were created to once again be the light of the world and image bearers of God. And when I realized that I had nothing to do with that, it produces humility. And instead of hiding, it produces transparency. This is an important one for y'all to get because we're, we're all jacked up in our own little ways. And what triggers you may not trigger me. And what triggers me may not trigger you, but something triggers all of us. An easier way to say that is we all have things that tempt us and drive us. And just because they may be different from one another, we still have it. And so when I see that God's value is above the way I'm living, okay, instead of hiding and trying to cover it up and act like I have everything together, my humility brings me to transparency before Jesus Christ where I say, God, I know there are some things in my life that are not pleasing to you. 
And I am going to bring that to you. I am going to submit that to you. I am going to surrender that to you. Are you following what I'm saying? And you keep on submitting and keep on surrendering those things to Christ Jesus, who has the power to transform you because you can't transform yourself. You can't discipline yourself enough to change into a person that pleases God. Only God himself can do that in you by working in you and on you and through you and starting to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, which is all his work that happens when we become humble before him and transparent before him. Instead of trying to act like I've got it all together, I need to learn how to live broken in his presence. I've got to learn how to take all the disgusting parts of my life and bring it to the feet of Jesus and realize that he's not going to turn his back on me. He's not going to shame me. He's not going to condemn me. He's going to love me and say, son, I've got something better for you. Let me help you. Let me partner with you to bring about the transformation that you need. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. I love that. It's talking about Jesus. He's not unable to sympathize with what you've gone through. You know why? Because he became like you. He took on flesh. He, he knows what drives you because it tried to drive him. He knows what tempts you because it tried to tempt him. Did you know that Jesus dealt with temptation? Did you know that? So he's not unable to sympathize with us in our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, the perfectness of Christ would not succumb to the temptation of falling to sin. So what do we do with this? Verse 16, it says, let us then with confidence draw near. Don't hide. Don't run. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people who have a perfect heart towards him because that he can work with. I promise you, God has the ability to transform you from the inside out. As long as you are humble, as long as you are transparent, and the third thing, instead of running, it causes us to surrender. And that, that's the key to living a productive life in Christ. Remember, he does have values. There are standards here that he wants us to live up to. And that, that's, that's the, the fault of the false grace message. False grace is God loves you, now live however you want. True grace is God loves you no matter what you've done. But now his grace empowers you to live the life that you could not live on your own. So when fruit starts to come from your life, it's not because you're all that in a bag of potato chips. It's because you've drawn closer to God, and the more you draw close to God, the more his spirit operates in your life, and the more you surrender and bring those things to him and talk to him about it and don't try to hide from it, get honest with God because he can handle your honesty. We can come to him with confidence and boldness, the writer in Hebrews says. As we do that, he begins to transform us from the inside out. See, religion is outside. It's all about what's going on the outside, how you look, what you do. 
and Jesus is more interested in what's going on in here. I thought about that one day. I was walking and I looked in a mirror and the thought hit me that God is more concerned about who I am becoming than he is about what I do. Meaning it would be easy to step into pride as a pastor and think that I can live however I want because God's proud of the fact that I stand and present the gospel. Does that make sense to you? But God is more interested in who I am becoming inside of here than he is what I do right here. Because if I'll surrender this to him, he'll produce the fruit that brings about the works that are pleasing to him. It's not about you. That's what I want you to hear this morning. It's not about you or what you can accomplish. It's all about him and what he has done. And the closer you draw to him, the more he will transform you. And it is a process. It is a process. You don't just wake up one morning perfected. It is a process of yielding this vehicle of flesh, and it continues until the day you stand and see him face to face. And then we are made perfect. There is no more sin. There is no more temptation. But until then, we've got to learn how to yield our life and surrender it to him so that he can produce in us what he desires, the work that is pleasing to him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray for every single person that is in this room today. And God, I'm asking that you would begin to draw each and every one of us closer to you. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to reveal to us the things inside of us that you desire to change. And God, instead of us running from it, instead of us hiding it, instead of us thinking, well, we'll fix this and then we'll come to you, God, let us just simply surrender to you with all of our faults, all of our problems, all of our weakness. God, today in this moment, we just bring it to you. And Jesus, we ask for complete healing. Bring healing in our mind, God. Bring healing into our heart. God, bring healing to our emotions. Some of you in here, you've been so scarred by what you've been through in life. And then to add to the pressure of what you've been through in life that has hurt you, you've had a double dose of religion added on top of that. And it's made you feel worthless. And I want you to know today that the gospel is not intended to make us feel worthless. It's intended so that we can find our worth and value in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know that you are loved. You need to personalize that this morning. You are loved. Jesus died for you. He loves you. Start resting in that love. Have confidence in that love. Surrender to that love and allow him to take you where you need to go. In Jesus' name. Now if everyone would stand. 
you have something on your heart this morning that you would like us as a church family to come into agreement with you about, I'm going to ask this as a sign of your faith and confession that you would take your hand and lay it over your heart. And we're going to pray together. And I believe in this moment, God can begin to work a miracle in your life. Over the past couple of weeks, I've heard so many testimonies of people where in moments like this, God healed them. We weren't even praying necessarily for healing. We weren't even necessarily laying hands on anyone, but God healed them. So I believe that no matter what's going on in your life right now, that Jesus can meet you at the point of your need and he can bring healing to you. Father, right now, we ask that you would touch your people and that you would meet them at the point of their need. God, whatever it is that they're going through, whatever it is that they're facing, God, I'm asking that you would be their ever-present help in their time of need. God, I'm asking for those who are walking through life and there seems to be so much pressure that they can't handle it and they feel like they're gonna fold. God, I'm asking that you would give them a supernatural strength and a supernatural rest to keep on moving knowing that you've got a purpose for their life and they can't give up right now. Somebody in this room needs to hear that. You can't give up right now. You feel like it, but you cannot give up and you cannot back off because God is not done with you yet. And a lot of the pressure that you're feeling is the resistance from the enemy trying to keep you from your purpose. But if you'll just keep on moving and keep on pressing, there will come a time where you will break through so, Father, for the person that feels like giving up, God, I'm asking that you would give them a supernatural strength. Lord, for those that are sick in their body, we ask that you would touch them this morning. God, bring healing to them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.